myself for my mask. Thank you very much to the choir. Well, that sounded a bit loud. Is that okay? I, I can't tell you how lovely it is to stand up here and see lots of faces. Um, over the past year, we've been, uh, for this service, we've been preaching the sermon on, uh, to Albert. So there's just the preacher and Albert in the room. And uh, no, I've absolutely nothing against Albert. He does a great job, but it's fantastic to see some other faces here today. I'm sure Albert's pleased as well. He's not the total focus of, uh, of the preacher. Um, so welcome, welcome. Um, we're continuing, as David said, in our, our series, Psalms for Lent. And um, today we're looking at Psalm 6. Um, and I'll just read that now. Psalm 6, reading from, reading from the New International. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Amen. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can gather together in your house this morning and consider your word. And we ask, Lord, that as we consider the passage that we've read, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be present with us to open our understanding, Lord, to help each one of us to draw closer to you through your word this morning. Your precious name, Amen. You know, one of the interesting things about the lockdown is the way that we've adapted. And one of the ways in which the world has adapted is through technology. And so we've been able to live stream services, we've been able to get on Zoom calls, and uh, our Wednesday morning men's Bible study went online very early on, and, and we've had a wonderful time online. We've actually got, we went from probably eight to ten men coming on a Wednesday morning, we now have about 15 online. And one of the great things is that it's become international, because uh, my dad is able to log in from England, because it's three o'clock in the afternoon for him when we meet. And in recent weeks, Helen Sosby's nephew, Grant, has joined us from Hawaii, which is, has been great. And what's been particularly nice is Grant keeps 200 chickens. So our theological discussions are often to a background of clucking and a, and a cockerel crowing. So uh, we're all looking forward to the, when we get to the passage where Peter's denial, and hopefully the, the cockerel will play his part then. 
But there is a downside to this, of course, and uh, the downside for me personally is that my mother is able to watch me preach from 6,000 miles away and then call me up and critique my wardrobe. So she spoke to me a week or so ago and she said, well, we'll be thinking about you on Sunday, but she said, what I would like to say is that the last two times I've seen you preach, you've worn the same jumper or sweater. And she said, and frankly, it's looking a bit tatty. <laughs> so so I, did, I did toy with the idea of rebelling this morning and wearing the jumper just so that it would annoy her. But um, Ephesians 6.1 says that you have to, as children, have to obey their parents because that is what is right. So um, my only token rebellion is I think she might think these trousers are a bit lively for church. So uh, you have to take your little victories where you can. <clears throat> but anyway, Psalm 6 is the psalm we're looking at today. And the title for the message today is um, Pray for God's Delivery. And with hindsight, I think I'm, I should perhaps have changed that title to pray for God's deliverance, because delivery has become much too common a word, I think, uh, in recent weeks, hasn't it? We get everything delivered now. We have DoorDash, we've got Uber Eats, you know, we, we've become used to, you know, pressing a few buttons on the phone and somebody will arrive with our, with our food. And... Um, I have to say that what we're talking about today is far more important than ordering a fish taco. Um, pray for God's deliverance is probably what I would say for Psalm chapter 6. Psalm ch chapter 6, let's, what is it? I mean, essentially, it is a cry for help. It's a cry to God for help. It's from the heart. Um, and we have to look at that now and we have to say to ourselves, what, as we read this anguished cry for help in Psalm 6, what can we learn from it? What can we take from it that would be helpful to us this morning? And I want to break that up by looking at four questions, really. I want to look at what can we learn from the man who wrote it? What can we learn from why he wrote it? What can we learn from the way he wrote it? And what happened when he wrote it? So let's start with that first question. What can we learn from the man who wrote this psalm? Psalm 6 is a psalm of David. It was written by King David. David was probably the greatest king that Israel ever saw. David, if you read his, about his life, above all perhaps, he was a fearsome warrior. He spent most of his life in wars, in battles, running from the forces of Saul when Saul was trying to capture and kill him, and then consolidating his position as king and constantly being involved in wars and battles against Israel's enemies. And David led his man. So we'll come to that in a moment. <laughs> that prompt was a little bit early. Um, he was a fearsome warrior, uh, constantly in battle. And we read that he was fierce in battle. 
In fact, David was so fierce in battle and he was involved in so much warfare that when he came to God towards the end of his reign and he said, Lord, because of the way you've delivered me and blessed me, I want to build you a temple. God said to him, you know, David, you have too much blood on your hands. Yes, that blood was shed in my service, but there's too much blood on your hands and so I'm going to ask your son to build the temple for me. He was a mighty warrior. He was also a talented musician. You know, we read that when he was a young man and he would come to the court of King Saul and Saul would have these black moods that would descend upon him and David would be called for and David would play and the music he played would soothe King Saul. We know because of over 100, of, out of 150 Psalms we have in the book of Psalms, David wrote more than half of them. So he was a talented poet, a talented musician, a talented songwriter. We also know from two passages in the Bible, in 1 Samuel and in Acts, that David was described as being a man after God's own heart. Remarkable words, though, there, that David was a man after God's own heart. So David, the man who wrote this psalm, is a true titan in Scripture, a fierce warrior, a talented musician and poet and songwriter, a man after God's own heart. That's the man who is writing this psalm. And we need to process that and understand it. Why? Because if you read these words, David, this great man, this man who after God's own heart, is writing Psalm 6 in anguish. Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. Be merciful to me, Lord, I am faint. I am worn out from groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping. I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. This man, David, was in a desperate situation. We don't know the particular circumstances, but it was causing him distress, it was causing him to be physically ill. It was causing him to be fearful. And he's crying out to God in anguish. And in a way, because of the man that he was, the fact that he wrote this psalm is an encouragement to any of us who are currently going through a challenge or a difficulty. Because sometimes... When we go through a difficulty or a time of challenge, when we're worrying about something that's keeping us up at night, we tend to sometimes think that it's because God doesn't care about us anymore, that he's, he's turned his back on us. That if he really loved us or was interested in us, we wouldn't be going through a time of difficulty. And there are some preachers out there who will preach that if you become a Christian, your life is just a, a bed of roses and blessing after blessing comes your way. But any study of the Bible will tell you that the great heroes of the Bible went through difficult times. And so if you're going through a difficult time this morning or this week and you're worried or concerned about something, you don't need to feel that because that's happening that God has turned his back on you. 
Because this great man, who was a man after God's own heart, he was going through some stuff here. And his anguish bleeds out from the pages when we read it. You know, when Lazarus was taken sick, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, who wasn't there, because they wanted him to come and touch Lazarus. They sent word to Jesus. They sent people to find Jesus and to tell them that Lazarus was sick. And what words did they use in in John 11? They said, Lord, him whom thou lovest is sick. Jesus, someone you love, is sick. David was a man after God's own heart, and he was in a moment here of anguish where he was crying out for help. So when we go through something, when we go through a time of challenge or worry or concern, that is not because God doesn't love us. Lord, the one you love is sick. We should take that as an encouragement this morning. It sounds kind of odd, but it should be an encouragement. If you are going through a difficult time, the last thing that you should do is turn your back on God or get angry with God or stop coming to church because that's the way the devil tries to twist it within our hearts, that God doesn't love you. Why should he go to church? Look at the things you're having to deal with at the moment. That's not right. This man, this great man, this man who was described as a man after God's own heart, is here crying out for deliverance. That's what we learn from the man who wrote it. What can we learn from why he wrote it? Why did he write this psalm? You know, you read Psalm 6 and see how many times David mentions the fact that he's king or mentions his throne, or mentions his soldiers, or mentions the accomplishments that he has, the things that he's done for the Lord, the victories he's won. None of that appears in this psalm. This man had enormous human resources available to him. But we don't read of any of that in this. Why did he write this? He wrote this Because he realized that the only way in which he could be delivered from the challenges that he was facing was if he cried out to God for help. And even even crying out for help seems counterintuitive, particularly when you look at a mighty military man like David who should have been able to defeat any challenge he came across. No, in Psalm chapter 6, he is in anguish and he's crying out to God and he's saying, God, I need you to intervene in my situation and deliver me because he knows that there is no other way that he can be delivered from the situation that he's in. When we go through difficulties, when we go through times of challenge, That's how God wants us to respond. He doesn't want us to try and fix things ourselves or use our own abilities or our own resources or our own contacts to fix our problem. He wants us to come to him. 
And he wants us to lay out the problem before him and ask him to deliver us. When King Hezekiah was besieged by enemy forces, he had a taunting letter from the king who was trying to overthrow Israel. And the letter was requiring, demanding that he surrender. And we read in the Bible that Hezekiah took the letter into the temple and he laid it on the ground in the temple and he prayed to God and asked God to deliver him. Now from a purely human standpoint, that was a ridiculous thing to do. You've got a hostile army camped on your doorstep who are demanding your surrender and you go and pray. It's not the way that the world outside these walls would react to a challenge. But this is the resource that God has given to us as Christians. When we get into a time of difficulty, a time of challenge, he doesn't want us trying to fix it ourselves. He wants us to bring it to him, lay it in front of him, and ask him to deliver us. And that's what David is doing in Psalm 6. What can we learn from the way that he wrote this psalm? You know, in sporting and athletic circles, there's an expression that says that a good athlete leaves everything on the field. What it means is that after a game, a match, a contest, you don't expect the team players to come bounding into the locker room full of energy. You want them to come limping and crawling back into the locker room because they've left everything on the field. Because you want total commitment. You don't want anything left. And as we read Psalm 6, we see that David is at that point. Verse 6, I am worn out from groaning. Worn out from groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping. I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. David is all in here in this cry to God for deliverance. This isn't one of a number of things David is doing to try and get out of the problem that he's in. He's laying everything before God in this plea. Three things we see about the way in which David wrote this. He's humble. He's humble throughout this. There's no suggestion anywhere in this psalm that David has any personal ability to get out of the situation that he's in. There's no trace of pride in this. There's no trace of dignity or even self-respect in this. David is prostrate before God. Everything is on the floor before God as he cries out for deliverance. The second thing is he's weeping. He's drenched his couch with tears. This is consuming him. And when we find ourselves in a situation 
where we need help, where we can't deal with whatever challenge it is that we're facing. When we come to God and we ask God to help us and to deliver us, we have to be all in when we come to him. We can't just dash off a quick 30-second prayer and move on and expect it to arrive within 10 minutes like our order from McDonald's would arrive in 10 minutes. We've got to be serious and committed and lay everything on the line and say to God, I have no other way, Lord, of dealing with this. I'm coming to you. I'm pleading with you. I'm standing on the promises in your word and I'm asking you to help me deal with the challenge that I'm facing. The third thing, and this is interesting, is he's humble, yes. He's weeping, yes. But he's also fearful of God's anger. He says that in verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Jeremiah uh, prays something similar as well when he says, don't punish me, Lord, in your anger. David understands and Jeremiah understood that our consequences have actions and God will deal with us according to the way in which we live our lives. But they, but they both wanted, they had no problem with, with being dealt with injustice, if you like. What they were terrified of was doing something that would make God angry. And so that's the third element. If, we, if you're facing a problem, a challenge, a difficulty t- today, this week, and you want God to deliver you, you've got to put everything in. You've got to be humble. You've got to, you've, you've got to be serious about your request. But also, we have to check ourselves as well to say, well, is there something going on in our lives at the moment that is capable of making God angry? Because if there is, then we need to deal with it while we're praying, while we're asking for forgiveness, and while we're asking for deliverance, sorry, we've got to ask for forgiveness if there's anything in our life that's making God angry. We can't come to him and pray for deliverance in a duplicitous way when we know there are things we're keeping behind us. We have to be all in. Everything has to be laid before him. So we've seen what we can learn from the man who wrote it. We've seen what we can learn from why he wrote it. We've seen what we can learn from the way he wrote it. The last thing is, what happened when he wrote it? Three things happened. The first thing is that initially, nothing happened. How do we know that? We know that because... In verse 3, David said, My soul is in anguish. How long, Lord? Lord, how long? David had been praying for deliverance for a while. He's wrestling with God and saying, Lord, God, please help me, deliver me. How long am I going to remain in anguish? Because we need to remember God's timing is different to our timing. And we need to remember that as Christians, particularly in a world where, with a push of a few buttons, things can arrive at our door inside 10 minutes. And so that mindset sometimes can bleed into our Christianity and think, well, I'm going to ask God to deal with this. And we get disappointed and we get angry and we get frustrated if the problem isn't solved inside 10 minutes. 
But go back to the story of Lazarus. Martha and Mary sent message to Jesus, said, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Their expectation was that Jesus would drop everything and come and heal Lazarus. Lazarus would recover and life would go on. But we know that when Jesus received the message, he stayed where he was for a few days. And while he was away, Lazarus died. And when he came, eventually he came to Lazarus' house and the sisters said to him, Lord, if you'd come, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. We could beat ourselves up sometimes about why God delays in giving us the deliverance or the resolution that we need. But it's a pointless exercise because God's timing is God's timing. And there are reasons that we can't begin to understand. I'm sure Martha and Mary could not understand why Jesus delayed, which meant the Lazarus died. But the answer, in a way, is that here we are, 2,000 or whatever years later, and we're talking about Lazarus. And we wouldn't have been, perhaps, if he'd have been healed straight away. So we don't know what our time of anxiety, what that plays into, what are the consequences are going to flow from that in the way that we develop as Christians and the way that we are able to help other Christians in future who get into a similar situation. So initially, nothing happened because of God's timing. But we see that the second thing that happened is that David, after praying this prayer of deliverance, this cry for deliverance, he seems to stand up and he's suddenly infused with confidence. We see this in verse 9. No, verse 8. Away from me, all you who do evil. Why? Because the Lord has heard my weeping. The Bible says somewhere that God keeps our tears in a bottle. When we weep, he sees and it moves him. David said, God has heard my weeping. He's heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. So David begins... This, ver- this psalm by talking about drenching his bed with tears, about his bones hurting, about anguish. And he ends this when he's finished praying this prayer for deliverance. He stands up and he's confident and he says, God has heard me. God is going to deal with it. All of these challenges that I am currently facing, I know God is now going to deal with. And that's the promise that is available to us this morning Whatever it is we might be facing, if we can bring it to God in the way that David brought this challenge to God, we know that when we've brought it to him and given it to him and left it with him, he will enter in and he will deal with the things that are causing us concern. And the third thing that happens is praise and thanks. How do we know that? Because David says earlier, he says, Lord, Who remembers you when he is dead? Who praises you from the grave? 
What he's saying to God is, I'm here and I'm alive and I want to praise you and I want to tell people what you've done for me. And so that then is the final element of how we respond. After we've prayed for God's deliverance and he's answered our prayer and he's delivered us, we have to give thanks and we have to give praise. It's not an easy thing to go through times of challenge. You know, we've, I've had a few difficult weeks or months in, in the last year. And good people, good people in this church have prayed and lifted me up. And, and, you know, we've come through the challenges that we've faced. It's not an easy thing to be unsure, to be anxious, to be fearful. But let's just remember from Psalm 6. Read it again. Read it again and again and again. And follow the example of David. Give everything. Put everything in front of God. Ask God to deal with it. Understand that God's timing might be different from our timing. Why do we have to go through times of challenge? I don't know. But you've got to have the rain before you see the rainbow. And so we all as Christians are going to face times where we go through difficulty and challenge. But Psalm 6 is a wonderful encouragement to every one of us that God loves us and cares for us. If we bring the challenge to him in the right way, as David did in Psalm 6, he will intervene and he will deliver us. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you because you love us so much. We can't understand why you would love us, but Lord, you do, and we thank you for that. And we say, hallelujah, what a saviour. Lord, if anyone here this morning is going through a time of anxiety or concern, I just pray, Lord, you would lead them to Psalm 6. And Lord, prompt them to come to you, to forsake everything else, Lord, but to bring the challenge to you, to lay it in front of you, and then to stand up confident and assured that you love them and care for them and will perfect that which you have started in them. In your precious name, amen.